Amen. Well, we are continuing our Heads or Tails series. We are on part four. And so it's not a brand new series. We've been going for four weeks. And uh, I'm glad that we're doing this series. It's a lot of fun, very enjoyable for me. And I hope it's been enjoyable for you. Uh, and one of the reasons why it's kind of fun is because I think we're dispelling one of the common myths about Christianity that really, well, how many people grew up in church? Because I didn't grow up in church. But even though I didn't grow up in church, I picked up a few things. And, like, for example, I knew the Bible was the Christian book. I didn't know what was in it, but I knew that. I also knew that when you go to church, you're supposed to be real quiet. Even, even not having gone, I knew that's what you're supposed to do, is be real quiet. And I think a lot of people think that the essence of Christianity really boils down to being the tail and not the head, being on the bottom, not on the top. It really boils down to just being quiet and taking whatever abuse comes your way. And that's the essence of being a Christian, just... Keep your mouth shut and take whatever abuse comes your way. Is that the essence of Christianity? No. Are there times to turn the other cheek? Absolutely. Are there times where we need to just, well, okay, I'll be wronged. That's okay. I'm going to let her go. I'm going to let that go. There absolutely are times for that. So we don't want to go flopping into the opposite ditch. You know how sometimes when you're a little bit, a little bit off track, you're kind of, Two tires are on the ditch over here. That doesn't mean just grab the wheel and go careening off into the other ditch. It means just get up on the road. So yeah, be nice to people. You know, this isn't a a Deuteronomy 28, 13 isn't a verse that says you can just abuse other people because you're you're on top, not on the bottom. You're the head, not the tail. So let's push them around. That's not what that means at all. But it does mean that there's victory in Christ. That there's overcoming power that we are the head, not the tail. We aren't getting pushed around in this thing. We have the power of God with us. That's good news. Let's read the verse, Deuteronomy 28, 13. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God, uh, of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do you believe the Bible's true? That's a lot of people. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. Make you the head, not the tail. We talked about being the head and not the tail over the last few weeks. If you need to get caught up on this, all the sermons are on the the internet on our website, goodhope.ag. You can check that out and get caught up. But what an amazing promise this is. That we'll be on top, not on the bottom. That we'll be the head, not the tail. Now, of course, this promise was made to the nation of Israel. It wasn't made to individuals. It was made to an entire group of people. And there's an if in there. Do you like ifs? You don't? (laughs) Some people like ifs, some people don't. What if means is that you have something to do with it. That this just isn't the, the winds of fate, but that you play a role that you have a hand in this, that you can either receive this promise or you can reject it because there's an if. 
But the if is connected to something different than the promise. The if is connected to paying attention to the commands of the Lord your God and carefully following them. And this was talking about the Ten Commandments. And so, to make it super simple, this slave nation, been in slavery for 400 years, gets broken free from slavery, and they're going to go take the promised land. And the Ten Commandments are given them as a guide for living. And they're going to have this new land. And God says to them, if you as a nation follow the Ten Commandments to every man, woman, and child, your nation will be strong. Your nation will lend to other nations, but it will not borrow. Your nation will be the head, not the tail. Your nation will always be on top, never at the bottom. Do you see how that might happen? If there's a whole nation of people, especially thousands of years ago, when there wasn't really a whole lot of competition, thousands of years ago, you had an entire nation that loved God, kept the Sabbath, honored God and had no false gods. You had a nation that honored their father and mother to every man, woman, and child. You had no lying, no adultery, no broken homes, no stealing, no murder, none of that. Nobody even wanted what other people had. An entire nation where they all lived that way, that nation would get stronger and stronger and stronger because there would be no destruction. You know, it takes longer to build than it does to destroy. This would be a nation with no destruction. Only growth. Only getting stronger. And uh, then we covered Jesus going to the the Sermon on the Mount and how He uh, fulfilled the law and went from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And He took basically the Ten Commandments and said, I am fulfilling the Ten Commandments. And we're going to go from behavior on the outside, do not murder, to do not hate. We're going to bring it into your heart. Now, did you know God was about the heart from the beginning? It's not like in Jesus' day, the Father was like, oh, I forgot about that heart part. It was all about rules. I shouldn't have done that. I should have gone with the heart. He was about the heart at the beginning. Cain and Abel times, he was about the heart. That never went away. It's just that he gave people what hopefully they could handle. And they still couldn't handle just being told how to have their behavior. You know what I mean? It's easier to control your behavior than it is to control your heart. That's an upper level following God when you can control your heart, not just control your behavior. It's good to refrain from killing someone. That's a good thing. It's another thing to love your enemies. Those are two very, very different things. It's good to refrain from killing someone. Ten Commandments. Sermon on the Mount. Turn that into love. Find a way to express the love of God through your heart to someone who's hurt you. That's a, that's a whole nother level, isn't it? Jesus also said on the Sermon on the Mount that if you do these things that I'm commanding you, you'll be like building your house on the rock. When the storm comes, the house will stand. But Jesus also said, if you hear what I'm saying and don't do it, it's like building your house on sand. When the storm comes, the house is going to fall. So what's the New Testament promise? Is that if we follow 
Christ, it's like building our house on the rock. We will overcome the storms of life. But the promise is also, if you know what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it, the house will fall. And we've been confused in, in modern Christianity into believing that I should have all of the benefits of following Christ and I don't actually have to follow Christ. I can ignore the commands of God. I can do the opposite, but I should still get all the benefits. Simply not the case. Jesus says, if you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, your house will fall. It will come down with a great crash. Do we want that? No. So let's pay attention to the if. Let's pay close attention to the if. Are you the head or the tail if your house falls down? You're the tail. How about if it stays standing? You're the head. So we follow the the new covenant that Jesus established. We're in the same thing grafted in to the old covenant promises. It's a tremendous, tremendous blessing. Last week, we talked about following false masters. See if you can answer this question. Can you serve two masters? No, Jesus said we can't. Now, we, we try. The reason he said that is because people try. They try to serve God and money, but there's a tension between the two. And then people get mad at God. They try to serve God and things like fear. Can you serve God and fear? No. If fear is your master... You're in a world of hurt because fear will not take good care of you. Fear will damage you. If fear makes your decisions for you, you're following fear instead of following Christ. Fear will take you down a different road than faith in Christ will take you. So, very important. We covered that last week. Again, that's on the internet. Goodhope.ag if you want to listen to it. Today, we are going to talk about the authority of the believer. Today we are going to talk about, basically, prayer posture. The authority of the believer. How should we pray? In what circumstances? Now, is prayer important? Absolutely. I feel like, again, in Christian circles, we we enjoy thinking. We want to debate theology. We want to talk about Arminianism versus Calvinism, and we want to discuss eternal security. We want to deal with all these different things. But it's because we have absolutely no intention of trying to figure out how to apply love your enemies. We want to, we want to distract ourselves with theology so we don't even have to deal with that. Right? Maybe, maybe not for you guys. You guys are trying to get there, right? Amen. I hope so, because it's about applying the truth of God. And we don't need more truth, we need more application. We don't need to try to figure it out better. You know, I tried to figure it all out. I told you guys that before. I got two degrees in philosophy trying to figure out God. You know what I learned? Some stuff I just don't know. What are you going to do? You know, I'm comfortable with that. But some stuff we do know. Like we know it's God's will for us to be the head and not the tail. But if we don't follow God, we're building our house on sand. It can all come crashing down. It's not God's fault. Because He warned us. He told us. 
the authority of the believer. You know, I think prayer is really, really important. Super, super important. More important than figuring out all kinds of things. We need to spend time in prayer with God. We need to learn how to uh, have effective prayer. Have you ever prayed for something and it didn't happen? What was your reaction to that? There's a lot of different reactions to praying for something and it not happen. The worst one is to say, well, I guess God doesn't do that sort of thing. Maybe, maybe you just weren't seeing something. Don't build a new theology. We're going to look at that quite a bit today. Sometimes we pray prayers that really don't accomplish anything. Like, for example, did you know the Bible says that we are to resist the devil and he will flee? So if we pray, God, the devil's bothering me. Would you do something? I'm in trouble. Help me out. i got all this fear of the enemy. I don't know what to do. Have you just resisted the devil? No! You've just complained to God. Complaining to God does not help you. Resisting the devil helps you. That's very helpful. And we have a promise that backs that up in Scripture. It doesn't say whine to God and the devil will flee. We are to resist. Now, whining to God is, is like the tail, right? Oh, please, would you just give me a break here, man? That's tail. How did Jesus pray? Oh. He prayed that. We'll get there. You know, there's a lot to this stuff. And when you've got about 40 minutes, you just can't cover everything. You know, I mean, seriously. So, you always have to think, there's a whole lot to this. And that guy gave a couple of headlines. And so, read your Bible on a daily basis. Pray. Grow in your faith. Did you know one service once a week is not sufficient for you to get to your full Christian potential? It just doesn't work that way. That's like watching a football game once a week and getting to your full strength as a football player. That's not going to work. I've tried for years. (laughs) I'm no better at football than when I first started watching. Church is fun, isn't it? I like church. Let's look at, before we get to some examples, we're going to go to Matthew 21. Jesus is is talking to the disciples about prayer because he just cursed out a fig tree. You know Jesus cursed out a fig tree? Because there were no figs on it and it wasn't fig season. I've always been a bit puzzled by that. He goes up to a fig tree, there's no figs. He's like, you stupid fig tree, you're going to die. And it dies. I'm like, well, what's, what's wrong with the fig tree? Poor tree. There's got to be more to it than what I see. I, I presume it has something to do with the command to be ready in season and out of season. I presume it's a word picture of that. To be ready in season and out of season. 
But he, he curses this fig tree and it withers. And the disciples are like, what in the world is going on? And Jesus uses it as a tool to teach him. So Matthew 21, 21 and 22 says this. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Does that sound like tail prayers or like head prayers? Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. Now, I've, I've not gone to a mountain and been like, all right, buddy, see how much faith I got. You get, you know. I have not done that because I don't believe that Jesus is telling us to actually cast mountains into the sea. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that when we submit ourselves to the authority of God and we stand in His authority, we will have power in our words to command things that we think are impossible. We will have power in our words to command things that we think are impossible. Would it be impossible to say to a mountain, go be cast into the sea? There are things we think are impossible, but God has given us the authority to do it, to see it come to pass, to proclaim it and see change. But it takes faith. How did Jesus pray? We're going to zip through four examples. As I didn't quite get done in the first service. And then you guys were coming, so I had to hurry. But I like to, I like to just kind of have fun and talk and hang out. Isn't that good? Because we need to see what's happening and and I don't think it does you any good for me just to read my notes and you guys wait for me to be done. I think if we can interact a little bit and find out where we're going and really feel it and get it, then we can see something happen. Let's look at four examples of how Jesus prayed. How did Jesus pray? Was it, Look, Father, there's this guy, he's got lots of problems, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, it'd be great if you could maybe do something about this. But if you don't want to, that's okay too. uh, Is that how Jesus... Have you ever prayed like that? Again, that's one one of the ways we respond to praying for something and it doesn't come to pass. Then we start praying these vague, mushy, nothing prayers because then you're never wrong. You've never failed in your praying. You just prayed nothing. I'd rather be wrong. I'd rather fail than not swing the bat. You know, let's learn, not be embarrassed. The disciples failed all the time. Have you read the Bible? They messed up all the time. You think we're going to be better than that and be just absolutely perfect in every way? Here's how Jesus prayed. Matthew 9, 5 through 8. There's a paralytic, and everybody's watching Jesus to see if he's going to heal the paralytic. But instead of healing him, he says, your sins are forgiven. And of course, the guy wasn't there for forgiveness of sins. He was there to get his, get healed from being paralyzed. And so Jesus has a plan. He wants to show them the power he's got. 
And so he wants to also show that sins can be forgiven. And so here's what ensues after that. Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. So what was the prayer? Was it a long one? This is a paralyzed guy. This is going to take some time, right? I mean, we're going to have to pray and pray and it might take a month or two or, you know, I mean, we, we got to get our many words in and then God will hear us. Jesus says, get up, take your mat and go home. What kind of prayer is that? Have you ever prayed like that? I got this problem in my hip. Get up! Go home! That'd be a... Hmm. Okay. There's one example. This is a command. Mark chapter 4. This is where they're in the boat and the wind is blowing. And the waves are big. It had been like Lake Superior yesterday. I didn't see it. I went. I drove the other direction. But I was thinking, oh, it'd be so fun to look at Lake Superior with the huge waves. Ah, oh, that's so. It's cool, man. I went there one time in October, and it was. I've been to the ocean, and the waves were way bigger than the ocean. I mean, just. I love that power. I got too close and got completely soaked. It was bad. But imagine being out in a boat back then, under human power that just some dudes built with like mallets. You know, they were afraid for a reason. (laughs) This was not safe. And so they go wake up Jesus. They're like, Jesus, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. Head or tail? That's That's tail. God help us, God help us, we're gonna die. We'll actually follow the commandments you told us to. Just gig, just save us, come on. And so Jesus gets up. Here we go, Mark 4, 39 through 41. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So they're in the midst of basically a natural disaster that can take their lives. And the prayer of the Master is, Quiet, be still. Would that be what you'd be thinking of praying? Be more like the disciples. Jesus, get up! We're going to die! We're going to die! Get up! Get up! Quiet. Be still. John chapter 11. You know, Jesus had like close friends. There was this family that whenever Jesus was passing through the area, he would stay at their house. And, uh, you know, they'd take care of him and send him on his way. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus belonged to this family and where Jesus would stay. And Lazarus got sick 
and they sent for Jesus, but he didn't come, and Lazarus died, and then they're all thrown into a, oh my goodness, what in the world? Uh, they don't know what to do. You know, Mary is Mary just was the younger one that was just all starstruck and thought Jesus was so cool, and, and she was brokenhearted that her hero didn't come and save her brother. And Martha was more pragmatic and had some theological discussions with Jesus about the situation. But uh, this is what happened when Jesus finally did show up and the guy's been dead for four days. So, they go to the tomb. And the verse before this, Jesus prays a prayer and He says, Lord, hear me. I know you always hear me, but I wanted these people to hear me say that you always hear me so that it would benefit them. And then he gets down to business. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is a very serious situation. He's been dead for four days. How long do you need to pray to raise the dead? How hard do you have to pray? How much of it is about you? Lazarus, come out. Three words, real real quick. Isn't that another interesting prayer? Lazarus, come out. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. This is a great one because there's a demon-possessed dude in church heckling Jesus. Isn't that super? So, here's how this one goes. So you see, there's all these different scenarios, all these different situations, but Jesus basically deals with them kind of in the same way. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon. Could that happen? You ever had bad church experiences? Yeah. Some of it's actually just satanic. So don't blame God because the church is all goofy because sometimes it's not God at all. So you've got to be able to see through that. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. There's great wisdom here in dealing with demons. Two strategies. Shut up. Get out. That's all you need to do. Don't have an interaction. Okay? Shut up. Get out. That was how Jesus dealt with this. You be, you be quiet and you get out. Aren't these interesting prayers? Jesus prayed with authority. So in these situations, let's say you have somebody who needs healing. Let's say somebody needs deliverance. Let's say there's a, a natural situation going on that's very, very difficult to deal with. What would Jesus do? He would say, peace be still. 
He would say, Lazarus, come out. He would say, get up, pick up your mat and go home. That's what Jesus would do. Now we need to be just a little bit careful with this because not everything Jesus did is something we should do. Did you know that? Some things, for example, Jesus did as our substitute, not as our example. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, not so that we would also die on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins as our substitute so we wouldn't be judged for our sins. We are set free from our sins because of what He did. He didn't do that as an example. Now, of course, carry your cross and follow Him. There's that piece of it, absolutely. That idea of making sure that you submit yourself fully to God and are willing to do what He calls you to do, however difficult that is, carry your cross and follow Him, amen. But we can't die for anybody else's sins. We can't be a substitute for someone else. You may want to be, but you can't be. If your kids go astray, that's just the way it is. You can't sacrifice yourself for them. What would Jesus do? He would pray a command. So what about us? What should we do? Is this one of those situations where, where this is an example, or is this a situation where it's, he's the Messiah, you know, he's the Alpha and the Omega, he can do whatever he wants. He can walk on water, you know. Uh, we can only do that in the winter. He can do it 12 months out of the year. Has Jesus ever delegated authority? Has he said, I have this authority, I'm going to give it to you? Let's look at a few cases of that. Matthew chapter 10, there's the 12 disciples. And he's going to send them out. And this is the situation, 10-1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So if the twelve have been given this authority to drive out evil spirits, if there's an evil spirit, what does that look like? How would those twelve respond to the evil spirit? Shut up. Get out. They have been given authority to deal with them. Now is it just the twelve? Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, 72. So now this, this account is, he's already sent them out, now they're coming back. He's like, you guys go do some work, get some ministry experience, come back, let me know how it goes. So he sends out the 72, this is a different group of people. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Even the demons submit. How would they know if the demons submitted to him? They'd have to tell him. Get out! They'd have to give them commands. You can't submit unless you're given a command. Even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So the authority was given to the 72. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. So this is starting to expand. There's quite a, quite a history of delegating authority here. Let's go one more. Let's go to uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 28, 18 through 20. says this. Jesus came to them. Now, the situation is Jesus has died on the cross. He's been buried. He's risen again, but this is before the ascension. He hasn't floated up into the sky. He's kind of appearing to the disciples a lot, which is an interesting little time frame. Uh, so he's appearing to them and he's explaining some stuff to them. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So he's saying, I have all authority. I am sending you. So you are under my authority because you are under my command. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Teach the nations to obey everything I have commanded you. What did he command them? Love God. Love your neighbor. All that sort of stuff, right? Did he also tell them to go heal the sick and drive out demons? He had them do that too. We like to think thoughts because it's so safe. Man, is it safe. But engaging the battle is another story. Engaging the battle is another story. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. I believe this involves moral behavior. It involves the way we interact with people, how we interact with God. But it also involves how we engage in spiritual warfare, how we pray. Do we pray commands under the authority of God or do we beg? I'm going to tell you just a quick thing about coming under authority. Because you know it's important to come under the right authority. If you're under the right authority, you have power because of that. Let's say um, I'm kidnapped in some foreign country. It's actually happened to some people that are here. Um, let's say I'm kidnapped. Does, my, does the government of the United States care about me? A little bit. Yeah, a little. Let's say I'm in the military and I'm kidnapped. Now who are they messing with? They are messing with the White House. They are messing with the Pentagon. They are messing with the United States of America because I'm in the military. A person alone, a person under the authority of the government. There's the person alone 
and the person under the authority of Christ. If we try to give commands when we're not under the authority of Christ, how's that going to work out? We have a wonderful biblical example from Acts chapter 19. If Seth would throw that up there. There was these dudes. You know, the Christians were having wonderful success casting out demons. But there were other people who had that business as well. And they weren't having as much success. So they thought, well, let's borrow some of the business practices of the Christians and let's cast out demons in Jesus' name. Let's see how that goes because they're having so much success. So these dudes were doing it. Uh, Acts 19, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So they learned the process. They were acting like they were under authority. But they weren't, which is a serious problem. Seven sons of Shiva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and I know about Paul, but who are you? (laughs) He's like, can I see some papers, some identification? You know, are you you actually with God or who, who are you? Knowing they were not with God, Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I'm not intending to make you nervous with this. What I'm intending is to make sure that you understand you need to align yourself with Christ. You need to submit to Christ. If you do not do that, you're on your own. Which is better? Because people, they don't want to bow their knee before God because they're like, I'm my own man. I'm going to, you know, who you can't tell me what to do. First of all, you'd be completely deceived if you don't bow your knee before God. But you come under His authority. He delegates authority to you. You have no authority on your own. You're on your own. Are we reduced to being beggars who whine on and on for God to do things? Or do we stand strong under the authority of Christ and speak out commands? I don't believe we're called to whine and beg God, but He has delegated authority to us when we submit to Him and we put ourselves under His authority. He lifts us up and brings us into a place of authority ourselves. When we come under the headship of Christ then He doesn't make us the tail, but He makes us the head. He lifts us up. He picks us up. Are there times where we need to ask, though? When we're in prayer and we should ask rather than make a command? Yes, there are. If you need to know direction in your life, which way should I go? What should I do? Should you ask? Don't just make a presumption and say, I'm going to do this and just... Stand in authority, it's going to be that way. There are times we need to ask. There are times we just need to be thankful in prayer. There are times where we're interceding for others. But there are times where we are to command. Where we are to stand under the authority of Christ and say, you go. Or, you know, be healed. There are times to do that. Did Jesus ever ask or did he only proclaim I can think of one case where he asked there may be others but I can think of one 
very, very important case where he asked. And that's in Matthew 26, 39. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Jesus fully understood what he was about to face. And his response was to ask God. This is the one who said to the waves, be still. Says to the dead man, come out. Says to the paralyzed man, get up. Grab your stuff, get out of here. Says to the demons, be quiet, get out. Here he is. God, if, if you can do anything about this situation, would you take it from me? Notice what he didn't do. He didn't say, this isn't my cup. Not my cup. I got a good cup. I got a happy cup. My cup's good and happy. He did not proclaim. He did not command in this situation because he was fully submitted to God. This was not a situation where he was to, to claim something. This is a situation where he needed to ask. And you can see, as it finishes this verse, yet not as I will, but as you will. Imagine the pressure of the moment if the Alpha and the Omega says, I don't know if I can do this. Can you take this away from me? Imagine the pressure of that moment. He fully understood the physical toll. He understood the humiliation he would face. And he understood the spiritual situation that I don't think we fully grasp of having the sins of the world put on him. Breaking his relationship with the Father. He said, is there a way I can get out of this? Yet not as I will, but as you will. What was the Father's answer? Jesus said, can, can you get me out of this? Father's answer was no. No. This is why you're here. You will go. And Jesus said, let your will be done. I will do what you have for me. Was Jesus fully submitted to the Father? He was good with following God when it was healing the sick. He was good with following God when it was quieting the storm. And He was good with following God when it was going to crucifixion and death. He was good with following God. If we are to stand under the authority of Christ, we need to be good with following Him, whatever that means. I tell you, there's more blessing than there is pain. But there's a war going on between heaven and hell. And so we need to be willing to submit to God fully. Is it worth it? It is. 
completely. As we take communion today, I want you to examine your heart. Jesus was our example in submission to the Father. That didn't make him the tail. That didn't make him weak. It made him the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We need to submit to our Lord the same way Jesus submitted to the Father. So let's check our hearts and see where we're at. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for sending your Son to die in our place that our sins may be wiped away, taken care of, completely eliminated, that we can stand in your presence clean and holy in your sight, even though we are who we are. Help us, Lord, to see if we have fully submitted our hearts to you. Help us to see if we have yielded to you. Help us to see where we're at so that we can know if we're under authority or if we've stepped away from it. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did. We know it wasn't easy even for you. So we give you thanks. Thanks.